It's really good to be here uh, with you guys. Um, I see a lot of new faces, which is invigorating. Um, and it makes me a bit envious. Uh, I started coming here right after the church was planted and experienced, I mean, my greatest burst of maturity and um, spiritual growth, at least to date, you know, in this church. And then, so you all planted us, Doxology, in 2019, end of 2019, so right before COVID. And not too long after that, you guys were given a building. So I'm like, why did I, why did I leave? <laughs> like, a building in Arlington is a unicorn. Are you kidding me? Um, but no, just really, really thankful for you guys. And it's awesome to be here. I mean, you guys, through, I mean, every way imaginable, support me and my wife and our leadership team just the most of any church family. So, um, so we are in Hebrews 11 today. And our church went through Hebrews a year ago. This really fed me, and I, I trust it's been the same for you guys. And so last week in chapter 10, uh, you all heard a warning uh, with respect to just the, the importance of following Jesus. And then the author ends the chapter in verse 39, but we're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And so an inevitable question you ask as a reader is, well, what is faith? And you, know, you go out on the street and you ask 10 people, Churched or not, you ask 10 people, what's faith? And you're going to get 10 answers, right? So we need help from the scriptures on what is faith. So uh, let's go ahead and read it. It's a big section. We're going to be in verse 1 of chapter 11 through, chapter, through verse 31, where the author, he's basically teaching us what faith is through narrative, just showing us lots of examples of what faith looks like. Uh, so just follow along with me as I read that, and then we'll, we'll jump in. So beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks." By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was, just, when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. 
By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they knew that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will help us to hear Jesus and see Jesus uh, as we learn uh, how to have faith in your Son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So as you can tell, this is a dense passage. You could easily do a 30-plus week series on this. So thanks, pastors, who gave this to me. So here's what will be helpful as we're covering essentially this entire chapter in one Sunday. So think about if any of you have flown into D.C., right, returning back here. As you're flying into the city, right, and you get a panorama, as it were, a bird's eye view of the city, you could say it's not the only way to get to know the city. Uh, certainly, it's probably not even the best way to get to know the city. Right? It doesn't compare to actually going in the hipster coffee shops and restaurants and tasting the things and smelling the smells, right, or seeing art in the museums up front. Right? So it's maybe not the best way to know the city, but it is an irreplaceable way to view the city. And so that's the approach we're going to take today with Hebrews 11. And you know, it is all one sermon, so I think in some ways the author intended it to be read this way. Right? So as we do more of a panorama, instead of you know, walking down on the side streets and going in all the restaurants of each and every story, we're just going to get the broad contours here of what, does, what is faith? Yeah, what does it actually feel like and look like to have faith? And so what we'll do here is, um, I think, what are the, the four main threads we see in this chapter when it comes to faith? You can boil it down this way. So faith is thoughtful, it's tangible, it's painful, and it's upheld. So faith is thoughtful, tangible, painful, and upheld. Okay, so first, by the way, this side group's kind of tripping me out, like I'm about to get ambushed, so I hope I remember to keep looking at you throughout the service. It just, this is the first time I've had this experience, so okay, all right. So first, faith is thoughtful. Uh, Chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. 
Now, you can translate that word assurance as substance. So one way to read this verse is faith is the substance of things hoped for, i.e., when you put faith in something, and everybody does, right, have an ultimate heart trust. When you're, when you're deciding what are you going to put your faith in, Hebrews is saying you have to decide, and we all do it, right, if the thing or person we're placing our faith in is something of substance. Okay, so take, for example, a couple who's dating one another. What is it that makes them go from, we go on dates from time to time, to we're getting married next week? What happens, or at least what I hope happens, is each person considers if the other person is someone of substance, right? So are they the same person in private as they are in public, okay? What are they like when the chips are down, okay? What's their history? Are they a self-absorbed person, right? And so once you get clarity on the answers to these questions as you see them prove themselves to you or not over time, you determine, okay, yeah, you're someone of substance. I'm going to decide to marry you. And so the author here is saying the same thing. When it comes to Christ, all of us should consider, is Jesus someone of substance, right? Someone worth entrusting our entire lives to. And so, I mean, Jesus no more expects us to just, you know, sometimes in faith communities, you hear things like, like, just have faith, man, just believe. But Jesus no more expects you to just believe, right? To take a blind leap in him, as it were, then he would expect you to marry someone you just met yesterday, right? He invites you to actually check him out and test him and see if he's someone of substance. I mean, just a quick example in Luke 9, you know, he's doing all these miracles and people are all excited and as enthusiastic people do, this guy runs up to him and goes, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus' response is basically like, dude, have you even stopped to consider what it means to follow me? He says, you know, even animals have homes. I don't have a home. And the guy's kind of like, what? And what he's saying is, you need to consider who I am before you just make grand claims like that. So the point here, and what the author of Hebrews is saying, is thoughtfulness should be a quality of every single believer. And so here are a couple applications with respect to this point. Um, First, so it's easy, even if you don't intend to, to make faith mainly about emotional resonance, right? So do I enjoy the, the community I'm in, you know, during this stage of my life? Uh, do I feel fuzzies when I attend worship or when I do a quiet time? And that can work until. Okay, it can work until maybe you have a good friend who's just a really generous, kind, thoughtful person who's not a Christian and asks you a lot of really hard questions about the faith that you just have no idea what the answers are. Or it can work until you face tragedy. And this is why you need to determine, is Jesus someone of substance? Because if you don't consider if he's someone of substance, then eventually when things aren't feeling good, eventually, right, you're going to walk away. And often how this plays out, though, is when you're actually walking with, like having unanswered questions or walking through suffering. And so along that vein, the second point is, yes, well, you need to be a thoughtful person when it comes to Jesus, to do it in community. So one way to think about Hebrews, right? You've seen this throughout the whole thread, is a helpful way I learned to summarize Hebrews is keep running together, Jesus is better. And that hits the three strands that make up the braid of Hebrews, who keep running, right? Persevere. Together, do it in community because Jesus is better, right? The supremacy of Jesus. 
And so you've been saying how the life of faith needs to be done in community. And so you, because here's what often happens when you start wrestling with questions of faith, or maybe um, you've experienced intense church hurt in the past, is it's easy to just check out from your faith community and go to Reddit and YouTube, and you're just you're in a vacuum trying to figure out these answers until eventually, you know, maybe you send an email to your church family, maybe you don't. I've, I've seen this so many times, and you're gone. And I, I just I, I speak here not from theory, but from personal experience, uh, because this was close to ten years ago. Uh, I came to a I came to a point in my life story for another day, but where I was pretty sure that Christ was not someone of substance. Um, I felt like my faith was at point oh one percent, and I was saying things to my wife like Kelsey, I don't think I'm going to be a Christian next month. And because it, it was in this church, right? Because people actually encouraged me. They didn't baby me, but they gave me space to process and encourage. Hey, even if you don't feel like coming to community group or worship service, just keep coming and we'll be with you in it. Like that is the reason, right? In addition to people praying for me that I made it. And so, and just, so I can tell you, if you're here and you're, you're struggling with questions, um, this is a community I can speak from experience will, where you will be walked with, and listen to, and this is a space where you can think through these questions. If you have questions, ask. Okay, so first number one, faith is thoughtful. Number two, faith isn't just thoughtful, faith is tangible. Faith is tangible. So look at a few of the verbs here that describe all these people of faith. So verse four, by faith Abel offered to God. Verse seven, by faith Noah constructed an ark. Verse eight, by faith Abraham obeyed, right? Verse uh, 25, Moses choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Verse 31, Rahab the prostitute, she gave a friendly welcome to the spies, right? She was putting her life on the line by doing that. All these verbs are action verbs, right? These people are doing things as an expression of their faith. And so the point here is, while faith is, it's more than emotional resonance, yes, but it's also more than thought. It's also more than cognitive assent. Faith is embodied trust that lives itself out, right? Where you, you, you live it out through action in your life. And so as an example, uh, a number of years ago, my, my wife needed a, an invasive jaw reconstructive surgery where it was pretty risky, right? Like just huge risks of a lot of things going, going wrong. And so we were put in touch with the best doctor in the area. And, you know, as we're in the appointments, I'm hearing, okay, like I'm seeing his track record. All right, you're 10 for 10 on, on these surgeries. And he's explaining how he's going to do the surgery. I'm like, okay, yeah, I get it. Like I'm thinking. Right, but it wasn't until I drove Kelsey to the hospital and I let go of her hand as they wheel her away, right, that now I'm trusting the surgeon. Right, I could, before that moment, I could say I have faith in him Till, till the cows come home, right? But if you were just watching me, at what point did you know if I actually had faith or if I had embodied trust in the surgeon, right? It was when, when I was willing to show it with action. So faith, it's always tangible. And so just a couple things as we think about this. So first, number one, faith is tangible. I would, I would just be careful of, so sometimes, you know, somebody approaches you and they, maybe they notice a way you've been speaking, or a way that you have or have not been involved with the church community. 
or um, you know, maybe you are tithing or not. They just they see something in your life, and they come and, and they approach you about it, and your response either out loud or in your head is, dude, why are you being so legalistic? You know, or, or God knows my heart. Now, I recognize those statements or thoughts may be coming out of a place of hurt, right? And so I and Jesus sympathize with that. But you, you just have to ask yourself the hard question because we're all, like, we're fine with being called to obedience with some things, but we're all a mama bear about something. And so just look for the thing when somebody pokes at it, you get really defensive or angry at the person. That's probably the area where you don't want to obey Jesus in. But when someone in a loving community actually invites you to follow Jesus in this way, what they're doing is just to call you to exercise a tangible faith where Jesus proves himself to you as someone of substance as you obey, right? Because faith is always tangible. So that, that's more the, the edgy kind of challenge of this component, that faith is thoughtful, but also an encouragement, especially if you're here and you're wrestling with doubts, you know, of some way, shape, or form about the Christian faith. So I was just meeting with someone who's uh, newer to our church family this past week, and he was saying how when he moved to the area, he had the, the first panic attack he's ever had a couple months ago. And as he was reflecting on it, he said, you know, the, I realized, I think, why the reason why I had the panic attack is because I was in a season of change, right, moving to the area, I'm deciding between job A, job B, and I'm the kind of person who always likes to have things mapped out and planned, but I had no idea what I was supposed to be doing. And so I had this panic attack, and it wasn't until I just chose job B, right, i.e., until it got tangible, that's when things just started to come, and I was able to just play out, okay, is this the right career path for me or not? And sometimes we, we're, we act like this guy where we make faith heady, right? And we just sit there and we, we think and we think and we have philosophical debates and we read and find those things are important. See point one, faith is thoughtful. But often what you'll find is when you just start walking in obedience and walking by faith, because it's now tangible, Jesus will confirm himself to you, right? And, and you'll find it. That's what happened in my life is people encourage me to do just Come to church, even if you feel like you may as well be worshiping Santa Claus, right? Pray, even if you feel like no one's listening, right? Continue to care for other people in the community, even if you feel like you don't feel anything at all right now, right? By people encouraging you to just walk by faith, Jesus did, he did confirm himself to me, right? Because faith is tangible. So it's a great way to, to help make your faith more certain. And for those of you... Because of the cultural moment we're in, you know, some of you may have this question, okay, so are you telling me to like fake it till I make it kind of thing? Like if I have this war zone inside my head or I'm wrestling with these, I'm just supposed to act like I believe? Especially in our moment, you know, some have dubbed it the age of authenticity, okay, where if I don't feel something, then I shouldn't act upon it or I should just radically express everything I feel. And I just want to challenge you the, the danger with that. So, I mean, goodness gracious, like if, if I just told my two-year-old Titus, just be authentic, man. He wouldn't make it more than a month, okay? And so authenticity in the Christian life is being true, not always to your desires, but being true to your Savior. And as you walk in obedience, he'll, he'll actually still keep the parts of you that are you while making him look more like himself. In case that's your immediate, oh, I don't, I don't want to be authentic, just like if my wife or my child asked me, hey, Steve, can you just spend time with us? And I'm like, well, I don't really feel like it right now, and I don't want to be inauthentic. No, right? I, 
I get on my knees and I engage with them, whether I feel like it or not, and as I do, the actions of love lead to feelings of love. And so it will be for you as you walk with Jesus. Okay, so faith, it's thoughtful, um, but it's also tangible, right? Embodied trust that works itself out through action. Number three, faith is painful. Faith is painful. We live in a moment where um, some sociologists have dubbed it the, in addition to the age of authenticity, but it relates to it, a therapeutic age. And what they mean by that is whether you realize it or not, we believe, and I'm not exempt from this as well, it's all the oxygen we inhale, that the purpose of life is good feelings and comfort. We do. And it comes out in all kinds of ways. I mean, just one quick example. People, and this isn't rosy retrospection, but just isn't, like people 200 years ago, they didn't ask questions like, does this job fulfill me or not? Does this job make me happy? Because they just, they weren't so inwardly oriented, obsessing over their feelings all the time. They were more outwardly oriented, just thinking about, okay, how is this contributing to my family or my community? Okay, but what happens when you, you hold this belief, most dangerous is if it's subconscious, that the meaning of life is good feelings and comfort? What happens when faith suddenly doesn't make you feel good? And, I mean, look at all these examples. Abel, verse 4, he was murdered before his life got even off the ground. Um, Sarah wasn't able to have a child until she was 90, and even then that was because God miraculously intervened. Jacob, verse 21, from the womb and day one, Jacob had a father who showed radical favoritism toward his older brother. And when Jacob wanted his father to just say, I love you, he had to dress up so he felt like and smelled like his brother. Can you imagine? Right? Moses was asked to lead a group of millions that he never asked to lead, and his own sister and brother turned on him. He never actually got to enter the promised land after decades of serving God faithfully. Right? Rahab, the, the prostitute, Imagine her life beforehand. I, I, I can, I, here's some speculations, but I can imagine maybe how she was treated you know, in the faith community after she was brought in. Like faith has it's never been easy for the people of God. And I think about my own life, and these things happened in a relatively short amount of time. And... So within a relatively short amount of time, I already shared you know, part of my story where I just came to the most significant crisis of faith I've ever had. Also in that same general time window, uh, my wife had a host of medical issues that you know, we ran the gamut of doctors. And you know, evenings where she's just in tears and agony and there's, there's nothing I can do but pray. And then shortly after that, I had a friend who I've known since I was five, and I mean, I don't even remember, most of my best childhood memories include him in it, even memories after college. And he had you know, significant mental health issues that he was struggling with, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and I met with him, and I met with him, and then one day I get a call. that He wasn't here anymore. And just like when those three things came together, I remember, 
He says, okay, um, it's one of two things. Either my faith is deficient or God's deficient. Right? Those were the, the two things I, w- I was thinking in my mind. And just my prayers were basically things like, you know, God, are you even good? Is there anything we can hope for in this life or the next? And I found myself repeatedly, like in, in Peter's position, John chapter 6, where Jesus gives some really hard teachings, and he looks at his closest followers and says, you know, do you want to go away as well? And Peter just goes, Lord, where else can we go? You know, only you have the words of eternal life. And God taught me a lot, and still is, through that season, but two things he showed me. One is that it's easy to have faith when you're living by sight, right? Notice how many times just the word seen is used in the passage beginning with verse one, it's the conviction of things not seen. Faith is easy when you're living by sight, meaning when things are going according to your playbook and God is acting in a way you feel like makes sense with your desires and the things you hope for, it's easy to believe, right? But when suddenly you have questions you don't have the answers to, Suddenly, when you feel like every time you enter church or you go to pray, you're just like holding pieces of a story that you're wondering if you can ever put them back together. It's in those moments where you, when you have to learn to trust, even when God feels invisible or far off or cold, that is the crucible within which God will give you the miracle that is perseverance, right? And actually prove himself to you that he is someone of substance, right? That we follow Jesus we might not always understand what we follow Jesus because he's the one, right? Because he is the one who gives us the words of eternal life. And number two, what I found is it wasn't until that period when my appreciation for Jesus just was never so tangible. And this is one of my favorite aspects about Hebrews, right? All throughout Hebrews, you're saying Jesus is... God, and he's fully human, who fully sympathizes with your weaknesses, right? So he, he knows what it's like to be betrayed by a best friend. He knows what it's like to be alone. He knows what it's like to have a prayer go not in the way he wanted it to, Gethsemane. And so in Jesus, who you have is someone who has all the power of a king, and all the sympathy of a brother, right, who can come alongside you, he feels with you, he weeps with you, but not only that, he's made it out the other side, right, which is someone, that's the person you really need when you're going through suffering, not just someone who's felt what you do, but someone who can tell you how to get there, right, which is through linking yourself to him. So I just want to encourage you guys, um, as an Anglican minister, Hannah King put it, she said, Faith, biblical faith doesn't always, biblical faith doesn't resolve or remove pain, tension, longing. It assumes it, okay, at least while we're here on this earth. And so if you're wrestling with questions, if you feel like there's this deep longing you have, it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. Okay, it, may mean, it may mean that you're doing everything right. And, I mean, look at verse 13, summarizing These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, not having received the things promised, right? But having seen them and greeted them from afar, right? So when you experience tension, when you experience longing, what this is, it's an opportunity 
to step into the roll call of everyone here in chapter 11, right, who knew, who knew that this life, while it has its glorious moments, is nothing more than just a way stop or an inn on the way, right, to the true city and the new earth. Well, Jesus won't just wipe away your tears, but personally mend them. And so faith, it is, it is painful, right? But in those moments of pain, it, it summons us to look to the one who upholds our faith, and that leads us to point four, right? Faith is upheld. Okay, faith is upheld. The, the thing about the first three points, thoughtful, tangible, um, painful, is they're, they're important. But notice they're mostly inwardly oriented. And the danger with being inwardly oriented is, this was my experience, I imagine it's many of yours. In the life of faith, it's just easy to ask questions all the time, like, am I believing enough? Am I motives pure enough? Am I doing enough? Me, me, me. Right, and so what Hebrews is, and it's encouragement to get your gaze off of yourself and look outwardly, because ultimately faith isn't a worldview, right? It's not a philosophy. Faith is trust in a person, a person whose name is Jesus. And so what we have to do is get our eyes off of ourselves and fix them on Christ who upholds our faith. And we see this in context, right? So great I know you're taught this way because of your leaders, but great lesson in Bible reading is always look at the context, right? And so if you go right past this hall of faith in Hebrews 11, chapter 2 of verse 12, right? Look to who? Look to you? No, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And then he bookends it in chapter 10, right? Verse, verse, chapter 10, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession, right? The confession is the faith, right? That's been passed down to us through the centuries, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because you're so faithful? Because you're so pure in motive? No, because for he who promised is faithful. That's Jesus. And one of the things, I think one of my biggest takeaways from Hebrews was the incredible work that Jesus does for me, that, that he didn't just do stuff for me in the past on the cross, as vital as that is, but the things he does for me today and, you know, because if, if you were to have asked me not too long ago, you know, so what's Jesus up to in heaven? I probably would have said something like, I don't know, like drinking wine with the angels. You know, just hanging out, right? Waiting for me to just make it there. And then, and then I can finally hug him. Look at, I mean, you've, you've seen this a lot, but just the, something that helped me a lot, I hope it helps you, is in chapter 7, verse 25. So what's Jesus doing right now? Consequently, he, Jesus, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Why? Since he always lives to make intercession for them. You know what the word always means in the original Greek? It means always. Yeah. Jesus never stops praying for you. Have you ever tried praying for somebody a lot, especially somebody who often couldn't care less if you exist, right? Someone who's maybe often cold toward you. You have some amazing prayer warriors in your church. I just, for me, prayer is one of the most hardest things I do because it's one of the most selfless things you can do. But how much would your life change if you lived with conscious sight that Jesus lives to always pray for you? What does Jesus pray for you? 
Well, we have an example of this. Praise a lot of things for you. We have an example of this in Luke chapter 22, where he's about to be tortured and crucified. And he looks at one of his best friends, Peter. And he says, Peter, there's a test coming and you're not ready for it. Satan has demanded to have you. So I've, I've prayed for you. What did Jesus pray for Peter? Jesus says, I pray that your faith will not fail and that you'll live to strengthen your brothers and sisters in the church. And then what happens next? Peter wobbles. Peter stumbles. Peter falls on his face. He, des- he denies his friend and savior not once but three times. And then what? His faith doesn't fail. And then he goes on to provide vital strength to his brothers and sisters in the early church, we of whom are the beneficiaries of that. Why did Peter persevere? Because Peter's made of sterner stuff than you or me? No, he didn't pay because of Peter. He prayed because he had a Savior who upheld him. What Jesus prays for happens. Okay, when Jesus bats a thousand when it comes to prayer. There's never a time when he prays and God goes, uh, not today, son. Why? Right, because there's no one more pure in motive, beautiful in character, no one more at one with the will of God the Father than Christ the Son. Okay, and so whether it is today or whether it is a few weeks from now, you know, maybe life's flying on all cylinders for you. Maybe you're in a point where you have, you have questions you don't know the answers to. You have wounds. You don't know if they're ever going to be healed. You may, be, you may feel like you're holding a story that's never going to be put back together. The answer is to not look at yourself, right? But to fix your eyes on Jesus who upholds your faith. Why? Because when you fix your eyes on Jesus, what you find is the Lord of all down on one knee, nail-scarred hands, folded in prayer for you. And I just can't wait to when we meet God in person and God says something like, you remember that time you just wanted to give up and you kept going? Jesus prayed for that. Do you remember that time when you were in a dark spot and someone came alongside you and gave you a presence? Jesus prayed for that. And as I think about my story, there was a time when my wife and I could barely afford rent and were drowning in medical bills and a couple in our community group would regularly bring over takeout and take us to restaurants that we couldn't afford just to make us feel like we were living. Somebody was willing to sit alongside me when I had so many questions about faith and just listen and challenge me, and he always knew when to do each. There was someone who drove across town at a time that was inconvenient to him just to pray over my wife when we didn't have any medical answers. These three happened to be three elders in your church. And so how Jesus upholds you is he prays for you, but then he also gives you a community, right, to uphold you as well.
And so fix your eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter, the one who upholds your faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for everything you have done, are doing, and continue to do uh, to persevere us. Lord, I pray for um, just all the different scenarios that are in this room, whether it's somebody exploring the faith, someone wondering if they're going to remain a Christian, um, someone who's in a space where things are great, Lord, and that you will come alongside this entire community as I've seen you do for over a decade and just continue to persevere them and give them a great joy as they do so because they have a supreme and sufficient Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen.